The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. Good evening, Grace Bible Church and Friends of Grace. Uh, this last Sunday morning, we continued our work in 2 Peter chapter 3. This was the third and final engagement of verses 1 through 7. So, um, a few weeks ago, we introduced chapter 3 and the first portions of chapter 3. Then last week, we continued and advanced in our engagement of the mocker, and we realized that Peter doesn't give the same kind of treatment to the mocker as he does the false teacher. Now, that could be for a variety of reasons. It could be that maybe it's another expression of the false teacher. I, I do see them as overlapping, but in some ways distinct, and there's arguments for both directions there. But um, the false teacher, he impacts their character and their conduct uh, rather exhaustively. Now, by contrast with the mocker, what he does is he speaks to their character really in a singular sense, that they're, they're um, driven by their, their lustful, carnal desires, just like the false teachers were. But then he really goes more after the heart of their argument. And that's probably because the nature of a mocker is they're mocking. And so he, he centers in on that assault on our our blessed hope, specifically, where's the promise of his coming? Where is Christ? If it's an imminent return, why isn't why isn't it happened? Why hasn't it come to pass? How do we understand that? Should we even expect such a thing? And so he continues to advance in that, and we basically continued our work in three verses, really three through seven, and then continued on to verse eight as well. That'll introduce us, start us in our next section of eight through ten. And that's a natural point of connection that we need to see, 1 through 7, 8 through 10, as a unit as they come together and as the argument continues to develop. Now, one of the things that I was pointing out was that the the core of how the mocker is working through their argument is they're arguing nothing has changed in terms of cataclysmic major um, dynamic changes of interruption to the natural order. Therefore, nothing will change. So the argument, again, nothing has changed, nothing will change. And that's we don't want to be overly simplistic. They would clearly recognize that uh, seasons change, lives change, empires rise and fall, even topography changes, uh, regional changes, national changes, all kinds of changes. What the issue, though, is more of a, a catastrophic, a cataclysmic change of the order of such a nature that it really would take a creator interrupting the natural patterns of his creation kind of change. And that's true. We've really only seen something quite like that one time in redemptive history or history in general. Uh, it's been, I guess you could argue, in plenty of regional and smaller ways, um, but the nature of what they're arguing that nothing has happened Peter's rebuttal directs us to, well, it has. And it was with the worldwide flood, the Noahic flood, when everything, the entire world was flooded and all things that had the breath of life were snuffed out. They were put to death by a watery flood with obviously the exception of Noah, his family, and the creatures that were preserved on the ark. And so Peter says, no, actually something has changed. And this style of argument uh, it carries on even to the present. The present expression of it would be uniformitarianism, that again, nothing's changed, nothing will change. And again, we would recognize that in terms of a lot of laws of science, things that are way, ways that we can order and understand the order of creation and, and engage in a normal, reasonable way. Gravity still works, the sun still rises, the earth's still spinning. Um, things work the way they should work. But 
there was a radical interruption. There's been smaller ones, but a worldwide interruption of the created order by the creator in a context of judgment. And that's ultimately what they are rejecting. They're not rejecting, again, smaller changes. And so that really comes to the heart of their mocking. They're assaulting our blessed hope. That's true. But why? Is it this, they just have a, a problem with Christ's glorious return? Well, in some measure, probably so. They have no regard for Christ or his glory. But the issue is if Christ has a glorious return, there will be a subsequent judgment. There will be a reckoning. There will be a holy and righteous satisfaction of the offense of sin toward a holy God if that has not been satisfied through the redemption provided through his son. That is what they're ultimately rejecting because they can't bear up under it. They can't bear up under the, the return of Christ as beloved because they're not. And therefore, they can't bear up under the return of Christ as judge because they can't, that's too much for them. They love their sin and they know having to have an account for that, holding an account to it is more than they can do. And so what do they do? They argue that it's not going to happen because nothing like that's ever happened. Nothing like that ever will happen. And Peter says, actually, it has. And that goes to what we spent a good bit of time on today and before, but I wanted to reaffirm that today was the fact that uh, this section really gives a lot of attention to the authority of the scriptures and it draws from the authority of the scriptures to make the argument. So Peter, in addressing the mockers, he goes back to the creation and the flood with a view to future judgment, future destruction, new heavens, new earth. All this being the testimony of the scriptures, which ultimately is the aim of their assault. They're assaulting the scriptures to discredit them as a way to basically dismiss the prospect, and more than a prospect, the reality of a sure and future judgment. Therefore, they, they mock. Also, as we continue to work through our passage, I reminded you of a number of passages that we looked at last week. So part of this was demonstrating the continuity between 1st and 2nd Peter, but really to show you what we see throughout the New Testament, and most clearly and explicitly here in Peter's letters, that he speaks so much of Christ's glorious return and future judgment. These were not just isolated to Peter, but that was obviously the point of attention we gave was on Peter's engagement of it. But we see that the matter with the mockers isn't so much a, a volume of treatment on Christ's return and future judgment, but the veracity of it. Is it true? Can it bear up under scrutiny? And that's what they're attacking. They're not going after, you've never said this, and the, the scriptures and the apostles, they've never testified to this. It's quite plain they have. It, it's a very uh, pronounced and, and focused element of the New Testament scriptures, even really of uh, the totality of the scripture speaking of a future kingdom and the judgment to come and, and all like such matters. But it's clear the volume is not the issue, it's the veracity. And so that's what they go after. They try to say, well, it's spoken of much, but can it be backed up? And Peter's response is, absolutely. So again, here we have their mocking, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So, for since the fathers fell asleep, all continues. Um, well, obviously not, because what do we have? We have the disruption of the Noahic flood, the testimony that, well, there is precedent, there is proof of concept, which is really what they're arguing is. There's no proof of concept. There's no like incident in, in all throughout history. And Peter says, well, when you say this, you're, when you maintain this, you're deliberately overlooking this fact. You're ignoring the truth and the principles and the precepts that are plainly before you. 
And so again, because of that, he goes after the authority, or he speaks to them with the authority of the scriptures. And he says, when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. It's as though they are willfully ignorant of these things. And then he speaks to the creation by water, the destruction of the creation of the, the, the world of Noah's generation being destroyed by, uh, by water, the, the judgment of destruction of the ungodly. And that's not something they want to have a view to. They don't want to have a view to that because, again, it sets the clear precedent, this clear testimony that the Lord will righteously judge. And so they challenge, where's the promise of his coming? Nothing has changed. Well, something has changed. And so you reverse that argument and now say, because things have changed, we can anticipate a righteous judgment to come. And we also, as we developed this, we saw this is now the third time that, um, that Peter has talked about the Noahic flood. Um, we saw it in 1 Peter chapter 3, we saw it in 2 Peter chapter 2, and now 2 Peter chapter 3. And this wasn't just to um, affirm uh, the Noahic flood. It wasn't that Peter is saying, let me, let me assure you that this really did happen, and I'm giving my apostolic stamp on it that there was a Noahic flood. He takes that for granted, rather he draws things from it. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, we have it in a context of Christ's triumph, um, triumphant resurrection, his triumph over death his triumph over um, overcoming sin. And in that context, he even talks about the, the patience of God, the patience of God demonstrated um, in the days preceding Noah. And it's, it's a concept that he picks up on in 2 Peter chapter 3 as well, that there is a patience that God is exercising. He's not slow about his promises, rather he's patient. And then we went to 2 Peter chapter 2, and you remember that dense section when um, he talks about the judgment, the sure judgment of the false teacher, of the, the equivalent to the false prophet, those who would seek to, to harm and malign and, and disrupt Christ's church. And he gave a number of examples, one of them plainly being the Noahic flood and the judgment that was demonstrated there. And then now we come to, again, Second Peter chapter 3, where he's building on, again, that glorious return of Christ, the judgment to come, and speaking to the fact that, yes, Christ is coming, and he's coming soon. He's coming in a way that will reflect God's timetable, not necessarily our own, and one that reflects patience. But just as he brought destruction upon the world of the ungodly, we can anticipate that yet again. But there's, not, there's more to it than that, obviously. It's not just the destruction of the ungodly. This heavens and earth will pass away, and it will yield to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so when it comes down to it, here we have the mocker's argument doesn't hold any weight, especially as it's challenged the scriptures. And when answered by the scriptures, we see that uh, uniformitarianism might have some principles of application in terms of a consistency to creation. But creation has a creator who's lord of that creation and who will accomplish his purposes, including the disruption of the normal patterns of creation, specifically in the context of judgment, as we saw in the flood, and as we will anticipate in the days ahead as well. A reflection, again, of the surety of Christ's imminent return, which they won't have anything to do with because they don't want to submit to him as Lord, and they can't submit to him as judge. Then we went on from here and we uh, looked at that connection from 3.1 to 7 to 3.8 to 10. And one of the points of plain connection, well, well, one of the points of transition first. So I saw kind of verses 5 through 7 as developing a, a rebuke, as it were, a fitting rebuke to the mocker, a correction to them. And then I think there's a clear shift in verses 8 and following 
And here we have our second use of beloved, Peter's second use of beloved, a point of emphasis as we developed in 2 Peter chapter 3 um, a number of weeks ago. But here he's speaking very graciously, pastorally, beloved. I want you to see this. Don't want you to miss this. And notice that language even. Don't let this escape your notice. Well, we saw that in our section in um, 1 through 7, specifically what we were covering on Sunday. He says that it escapes their notice, that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water, by water, and continues on. It escapes their notice. They're missing this, willfully, arrogantly missing this. Now, as he speaks to the beloved, as he speaks to the church, as he speaks to believers, he says, don't you miss this. Don't miss the flood. Don't miss God's judgment. No, no, no. Don't miss this. That God's timing and, and the return of Christ is good, and it's sure, and it's a reflection of patience, and there will be a, a satisfaction of our, our hope and expectation of promise. They've missed this. You don't miss this. So two different matters, same wording, same phraseology, as it were. They've missed, but you don't miss. So they've missed in the context of rejecting the, the blessed hope of Christ's return and future judgment, but you don't miss this. This is our blessed hope, and even judgment might be something that we don't get excited about, and in many ways we shouldn't. We don't want to have a morbid view of judgment and a morbid view of they're going to get what they have coming to them. Rather, there should be a, a worshipful satisfaction in judgment, though, that Christ will get what he has coming to him, and the Lord of glory will get what he has coming to him in the sense that there will be a reckoning of sin, and there will be holding an account of those who have rejected and pursued their unrepentant carnality and rejected the hope of the gospel. So it's not something we rejoice in in the terms of the condemnation, but in God's holiness being satisfied and his justice being satisfied. And so again, a change in tone, where's the promise of his coming? It escapes their notice, these clear expression or testimonies of the scriptures, but beloved, don't let this escape your attention, that the Lord is patient and he will return in his good timing. And then we looked at, um, and regarding the patience of the Lord, it's a matter uh, to some degree of, of um, where we live, which is in time the restrictions of time. And it's hard for us to get our hands around that sometimes. And so these are some things we've seen back as far as back as Moses and David, both providing testimonies in the Psalms. We looked at Psalm 90 uh, verses three through six, where Moses talks about the same language for a thousand years in your sight or like yesterday when it passes by or is a watch in the night. He talks about the, um, uh, the fleeting nature of man that we return to the dust. Uh, we're, we're temporal creatures. We have a a natural beginning and a natural conclusion. We can have a, a general idea of how long people live on average. Not many people are going to supersede or ex extend beyond that average. And if they do, it's only for so long. And so there's a, a nature to which we, we understand the, the finite nature of our experience. And so it's hard to get our hands around a promise that preceded us and that was held to by those who were born and died before us, born and died, born and died. And here we are, expectant and longing, and yet probability is many or most of us will die waiting that promise. Some of us won't. Perhaps today, perhaps tomorrow, the Lord will return and he will fulfill his promise because it is imminent. It's more imminent today than it was yesterday even. And even David picks up on this. He talks about in um, Psalm 103, we split it up between 13, 16, and then 17, 18. And the reason I put a split there was we have the 
the, the temporal nature of man, that he knows our form, that we're but dust, uh, his days are like grass and the flower of the field, all this temporal language. And then by contrast, you have the eternal language applied to the Lord, but the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting, and those who fear him, his righteousness to children's children's. And so you see the, the contrast between our perception and vantage point and the Lord's who's outside of time and, out, and Lord of time for that matter. And so with that in view, we're reminded again, don't let this escape your notice. That with the, the Lord, um, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. It can be hard to get our hands around. And it makes for an easy um, uh, point of mocking, as obviously some have picked up on and have enjoyed delighting in. And it's not just to cut people down, not just to undermine our hope, but it's a bit of a an aggressive defensive posture that won't hold up. Um, the two examples I gave was some will want to look at truth and want to dismiss their, their culpability of, of rejecting it and, and the weight that it, it brings. And it's like Pilate washing his hands and basically like, look, I have nothing to do with this. Um, I've had a role. I'm clearly responsible, but we're just going to treat it like a dismissing. I'm stepping out of this. I don't want any part of it. But the problem is there's no stepping out of it. The Lord will return, and, and they have to they bear that burden. And then you have those who are mocking Christ on the cross. They're even the religious leaders. If you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, come down. We'll, we'll believe that arrogant, assaulting with the, um, with the words there, the slandering. And again, both of those are reflections of people that can't bear up under the, the glorious return of Christ and future judgment. And that's where the mocker finds themselves. They find themselves challenging the authority and the testimony of the scriptures because if they're true, and they are, then there's a reckoning. There's a glorious return. And instead of repenting and and looking to Christ and and finding hope and satisfaction in him, there's a, a pushing away, an undermining, an attempt to assault others and their hope. So such is the nature of the mocker. And how do we answer the mocker? Well, we do it in a like kind as Peter with the scriptures. Nothing has happened. Nothing will happen. Peter says, yes, there was a worldwide catastrophic flood that destroyed the world as it was and all who had the breath of life except for those who were on the ark, Noah, his family, and the creatures there with them. And so we know God didn't have to provide a, quote, proof of concept. He didn't have to provide that force, but that made it really clear he will deal with sin. He will deal with things. He'll interrupt the natural order. And boy, will that interruption be magnificent. Uh, the elements being destroyed by fire. This is not a, um, uh, a picture of, well, it'll be like fire. It is fire. It is a consuming of heat destroying, just like it was real water during the Noahic flood. So what do we do with this? How can we put these things to action in terms of prayer? We have a, a list of things. Uh, most of these are going to be very familiar to you um, because this has happened a few times where we've been in a passage for a number of weeks. Sometimes the point of application will duplicate itself, uh, not because there's not more to draw from, but the larger principles will lend themselves toward driving an emphasis, which I think is a really good thing. So I was away this last week, and my normal pattern is to be just saturated in one text to the next text to the next text and, and thinking through it, wrestling through it. Well, I had a little bit of a, a reprieve, or it's not a reprieve, it's, it's precious work. I had a, a, a context in which I was not um, 
in the, that same pattern. And so I thought about, boy, when you don't have that pattern, um, it's a good thing to be refreshed. And I hope you see it that way, that it's a good thing to be reminded of these things. Part of the reason we do the Tuesday videos, but also when we have duplication of application and prayer, it's a good thing to be reminded because life has a lot of things that clutter it up and that can challenge our, our focus, as it were. So hopefully having it again will be uh, serve in a, a Peter-like way to stir you up by way of reminder. And then we have an additional item of prayer as well. But again, first item of prayer and application, pray with thanksgiving that we have a clear pattern of teaching throughout the whole of the New Testament that speaks to Christ's glorious return and the judgment to come. Again, we showed the 12 passages that we looked at last week that uh, um, were um, from First and Second Peter. Probably more could be drawn out. And certainly, if you expanded that search to the, the totality of the New Testament, the totality of the scriptures, you're going to see time and time and time and time again. That's reason to give thanks to God that this, our blessed hope, our, our, our future expectation, the promises that we cling to and find as, as dear— it's, it's such a clear part of the testimony of the scriptures. Um, so we should give thanks to God. And um, again, it's not just Christ's glorious return, but also the judgment to come. It's not a bad thing to rejoice in. Um, again, be mindful that this is the holiness of God being exalted and, and satisfied. And pray that you would have a proper attentiveness to the clear expressions of our blessed hope, and it would transform your thinking and conduct. Again, this is the nature of the promises that Peter spoke of in Second Peter chapter chapter one, these effectual promises, they accomplish something in us, and they, there. Uh, John talks about this in First John again. There's a, a, a work that's accomplished as we cling to and as we we find as precious God's promises. We we live differently, think differently, worship differently, and we are sanctified through this. So pray that we would have a proper pray that you would have a proper timidness to such things. Pray that you and others would not succumb to the sharp jabs of the mockers mocking, allowing their unbelief to produce doubt, fear, or frustration where they should be where there should be confidence, joy, and resolve. Mockers are effective in a lot of ways, and we need to make sure that we don't allow um, their biting and harsh critiques and comments to to pierce in ways that prove effective and that produce maybe stumbling or frustration or doubt or that impede our worship. Um, we need to remember how does Peter address them, just like Jesus did when he was in, uh, being tempted by Satan in the wilderness with Scripture. Uh, the mockers have their argument. They played their ace. Peter responded very clearly with the authority and the testimonies of the Scripture. And finally, pray with thanksgiving that while we struggle to see outside of our limited vantage point in relation to time, that Christ's imminent return is sure. Again, pray with thanksgiving that while we struggle to see outside of our limited vantage point in relationship to time, that Christ's return is sure. Um, so, um, we're again, we're, we are restricted, we're limited. Uh, it's hard to get our, our minds and, and hands around um, things that are outside of our, our scope of understanding and our scope of experience, but we can give thanks to God that uh, that which supersedes this, and the Lord's not restricted in a like manner. Um, I gave the example that sometimes, again, timetables are hard to think through and um, that I have the the history of that I know my grandfather fought in World War II. 
And then I remember studying other things in history, even our the Civil War in the United States. And I remember thinking, boy, that was so long ago because you know World War II was was a long time ago. But I had a point of connection with a family member that I knew and would hear, and, and it was part of my life while he was alive. And um, it's an easy point of connection. We've had recent presidents, even um, and even just this last weekend. Um, uh, men that have been in the news of, of passing from having ser- uh, having uh, previously served in World War II. So we, we have points of relation for that. It seems so far away for some of us. Even for my children, it seems even further away, but a point of connection. But the Civil War, wow, that was so long ago. Look at the outfits and the technology, the weapons, and even just think about our country. And it doesn't don't have a strong point of relation to that, but I mentioned how when I was in my early 20s and ministering at an assisted living home in South Carolina, I would speak to some of the residents, and some of them... I don't know if it was the older residents or what the range was, but some of them had parents that fought in the Civil War. And so, wow, it had that point of connection was really interesting to me. And that's the nature of being in time and having points of experience and points of relation. But we need to recognize the Lord is Lord of time, and He's not in a rush. To Him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. He is not slow about His promises. And so we give thanks to God for that, and we need to pray that we would have a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving and a right perspective, and that it would be transformative, um, and that we would be confident of the imminent and sure return of Christ, and that we'd be prepared, that we would be found ready. You know, Jesus speaks very clear to that. When the Son of Man comes, will you be found ready? And so I would urge you, if you're in Christ, then seek to live in such a way that you're found ready. And if you're not in Christ and you just happen to, to watch or are curious, I'd urge you to repent because like the mocker, you cannot stand up to the glorious return of Christ or to the judgment to come. Don't resort to mocking. Don't resort to head in the sand or even washing your hands of it. There's no getting around this. It's good. It's glorious. It will come. So be satisfied. Be joyful. And may it be your blessed hope as well. All right. This next week, we'll return to 2 Peter chapter 3, picking back up with verses 8 through 10. Grace and peace to you all.